0: Hi there. You're listening to Development Unplugged, hosted by the Canadian Council for International Cooperation. Here, we are providing a platform for cutting edge thinking and debate on global issues and international cooperation. Whether you're a social sciences major, a journalist in pursuit of answers, a program officer brainstorming on that next project, or the CEO of a nonprofit, this is your source for all things international cooperation. I'm your host, Nick Moyer. In this episode, we discuss gender equality and feminism, specifically focusing on the 25-year anniversary of the Fourth World Conference on Women, held in Beijing in 1995. That was 25 years ago. Joining me to discuss what we can expect to see taking place in preparation for Beijing Plus 25, and explain what the major priorities and issues are, are Vicky Smallman, the National Director of Women's and Human Rights for the Canadian Labour Congress, and Catherine Scott, Senior Researcher at the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thanks very much. Obviously, gender equality and feminism are hugely important issues. They take a lot of space in our collective minds. There's so much work that still needs to be done in this space, but also a lot of progress that we can be proud of and we need to celebrate Feminism, certainly for our international development audience, has also really defined a lot of our collective agendas around the feminist international assistance policy, Canada's engagements globally. And so on this really important anniversary of the Fourth World Conference on Women that took place in 1995, um, we're seeing a lot of events taking place around the globe, sort of looking at where we are. And I think we're looking back on what is uh, an extraordinary document and process that took place 25 years ago. Um, If I understand correctly, there were 50,000 participants there that defined a a framework um, that's considered one of the most expansive with respect to women's rights and gender equality that certainly the globe had ever seen at that stage. And it outlined so many critical areas of action. And so, you know, where are we now, given those commitments made 25 years ago as we lead up to the 75th anniversary of the UN, uh, the UNGA in September of 2020. And we're going to have there a discussion and a focus on 25 years after Beijing. So what does that mean? Um, The Beijing Declaration, I mean, remains, I think, very relevant today. But let's begin with our listeners. I'd love to hear from you. Just why is it that the Beijing Declaration is so critical? And why is this anniversary important? Vicky, do you want to get us started?
1: Sure. I mean, I think if you go back to 1995, you know, and you can just imagine all of those people that traveled to Beijing, I mean, and many of them were not part of the official, you know, conference that took place. They just came as part of this gathering of civil society and of women who were basically telling the world, we're watching and we expect you to set out, you know, a clear agenda toward, you know, women's rights and gender equality. And that Framework that that Beijing Declaration and the Platform for Action is really a very comprehensive and detailed document that sets out what states and other actors are expected to do. Right. The problem is, and every five years it gets reviewed as part of the U.N. processes and through the Commission on the Status of Women. But there has been very little progress, really, when you think about it. There's been progress maybe in some areas and maybe Catherine can elaborate Mm -hmm. a little bit on that. But Overall, I mean, there's no country in the world that is even close to achieving the promise that the Beijing Declaration and Platform for Action held, right, in terms of all of its recommendations. So there's a need at this moment to, to gather, to sort of take stock of what has been achieved, and to really look at how we accelerate the implementation of the Beijing Platform for Action. The other reality is that we have been uh, experiencing a real pushback against any gains that women have made uh, around the globe. We, you know, as part of this broader rise of the right wing, of populist uh, politics and of uh, corporate control, and all of that serves to put all of the gains that we've made at risk and and impede progress. So it's another reason that this moment is really important.
0: Now, the moment really does matter. And you've laid out many of the reasons why. So as we lead up to the UNGA in September, the sort of Beijing plus 25 what what are you looking for Catherine what what is the things we we should be really focusing on in this year as we lead up to that
2: well I think uh that's a great question because there. For us, and certainly the women's organizations that have come together to do the review in Canada, there are really two agendas. Certainly, there is the domestic agenda. We really, um, uh, this past year, is, uh, was a great opportunity. Uh, over 50 organizations, women's, uh, women's rights and gender equality groups came together to form a loose uh, Beijing Plus 25 network to assess the Canadian record. And certainly, um, an important task uh the past 5 years effectively was looking at the past the government's uh, mandate this past number of years to see where canada is i mean canada certainly is held up as having made tremendous progress and there certainly are key milestones but our own review and production the shadow report was really a great opportunity for for us to really say where are we and to push out our framework to really ask the question how is how are all women doing like whether uh, that's different groups of women. Are how what is the what is the, what type of progress have Indigenous women made? How um, newcomers and migrant women? So it was really a great opportunity to take stock in Canada to help set an agenda moving forward. The other piece, of course, is what how are we doing on the global advocacy? how is Canada contributing to the global agenda? Um, what kind of efforts have they taken to ensure that the gains that Vicky referred to? Are you know? Are hold? We're, we're holding the line against the you know considerable pushback that's happening among many other different state actors. So the global advocacy has been really critically important to support the UN process at this moment. Yeah,
1: I think too. It's it's also. I mean. W- Uh, what we really need to be mindful of are some of the also emerging issues and the things that maybe we didn't anticipate in 1995, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think in 1995 we anticipated that the climate crisis would have uh, like achieved the level that it has right now. There is a section on women in the environment, but it doesn't really capture or even get close to what we need to do in the current context. I think that is an urgent area of action because women in, uh, and particularly marginalized women and girls, um, people with multiple and intersecting identities are the ones that feel the impact of climate change the, the deepest. Right. Mm-hmm. So their voices need to be front and center. I would also look at sort of some of the evolution in the area, you know, the area of women in the economy. In the world of work, you know, when we have automation and digitalization. And in the UN system, you hear a lot about the promise and the opportunities, but not very much about the risks and the impacts. And so we are hoping to have a bit more of a conversation about that as well. So there's a lot of different areas where, you, you know, we need to sort of look through the lens of the current. Context, But also putting the the interests and the realities and the voices of the people who are often not heard. Right. Um, so women and girls, uh, you know, with multiple and intersecting identities, indigenous women, uh, women in conflict, human rights defenders, mm-hmm. um, women with disabilities, women with disabilities uh, uh, lesbian, gay, bi, trans and women and non-binary folk who are often very much invisible in this okay process, even though we're talking about gender equality. So there are some tensions there that really need to be uh, brought up and voices that need to be heard.
0: Yeah, you've talked about uh, the need to sort of address the pushback that's happening around the world and accelerate the change that we need to see. Now, you know, events and conferences can do a bit of that, but what's your sense of what's really necessary in the margins as we lead up to how can we use an event like Beijing Plus 25 to do some of that, the accelerating and the pushing back. You've spoken to bringing in voices that aren't um, given enough space. What else?
2: Do you want to talk about the, the domestic, and I can address the global. Well, why don't you start with the global, sure. and then I'll segue to the domestic. So,
1: uh, in addition to the usual uh, activities that this that a, a review year would have, which would mean, um, you know, that the countries put their national reports in civil society often creates parallel reports or shadow reports. There's a regional review meetings, and then there's the commission on the status of women. This year, UN women is holding two global gatherings called generation equality, one in Mexico in May and one in Paris in July. Uh, And uh, these are supposed to um, have two concrete outcomes. One is a, what they call feminist agenda setting, which is, we're not quite sure what that's going to look like, but civil society has actually started to mobilize globally around six thematic clusters, and they are putting together what's called a feminist and women's movement action plan, which we hope to present You know, to help to drive the discussions, whatever they look like at these generation equality forums. The other thing, which is more driven by UN women, is uh, what they call action coalitions. And these are six multi-stakeholder, that is government, civil society, and they say the private sector, although they have not clearly indicated what they mean by the private sector or what role the private sector would play in these, which is a bit of a concern, um, that they would... Identify around these six themes, which are: they are, let's see, feminist action on climate change, um, women, uh, and oh, now I'm blanking. <coughs> feminist action on climate change, um, investing in in feminist movements and women's leadership, um, women and women's economic rights, uh, bodily autonomy and sexual health and rights, technology and innovation. And I'm blanking on the last one, so I may have to go back and list those action coalitions again. Anyway, these action coalitions are supposed to identify two or three what they call game-changing actions that will accelerate the implementation. The blueprint for these is really in development now and will be discussed at the Mexico meeting. And then these action coalitions will be unveiled in Paris So right now, uh, I think that organizations that are interested in this process might want to monitor the developments of these action coalitions and come up with some ideas about uh, what actions would make really make a difference on the ground for women and girls. Like, what would they like to see? And then uh, we can use the other process, the feminist agenda setting to sort of get more into the detail.
0: You've been intimately involved in the development of this report, yes. um, the titled Unfinished Business, which very much is the case. And you've looked at sort of Canada's implementation of the Beijing Declaration. So what really has stood out for you in that? What can you share with our listeners about sort of the highlights and what, what really kind of progress you're most looking for in the years ahead?
2: Uh, Well, as you said, this was a great opportunity to take stock of the last four years, indeed the last 25 years, and there have been some notable highlights. You know, it was really an interesting um, opportunity for women's organizations to come together because there had been previously the prior 10 years prior to that, uh, you know, you know, had been difficult for many organizations. There had not been a great deal of attention on women's rights or gender equality issues, generally speaking. Certainly there had been sustained attack on labor rights, uh, the rise of right-wing populism. It had been a, you know, relatively challenging time. I think we can, without getting into any of the gory details, and so... You know, the election of the Liberal government really was an important shift in tone and focus. And certainly um, the government moved quickly on a number of initiatives, including uh, the uh, transformation of the status of women into a full department. They made pledges and delivered on proactive pay equity legislation. They took action in the area of violence. They had announced a strategy on anti-violence for women. You know, many uh, called the commission uh, certainly on murdered and missing Indigenous women. So there are several significant important initiatives and many big policies like the increase in benefits for child, for children, for instance, which actually has had a demonstrable impact in lowering child and family poverty in Canada. So there's some really big um, a sh- a change in tone, uh, uh, an indication that they would engage with women's organizations for the first time in many years and a sense of hope that we could certainly start tackling some of the challenges. And so this, our document, certainly highlights and notes what we thought to be the most important um, announcements, including the significant announcements last year at the Women Deliver Conference in terms of the Equality Fund and the money that was to, uh, committed to reproductive and health rights globally, which is a, huge, a significant investment um, and much, much needed, as all your listeners know. At the same time, you know, uh, the groups that we brought together, we have uh, 22 chapters and we review different areas. There remain really persistent challenges. And we do, um, you know, progress notwithstanding on something like uh, proactive pay equity legislation. You know, the promise of that legislation is 10 years out. The reality today is that women are still making 72 cents on the dollar. Or if they're full time, it's 87 cents. Nonetheless, there's significant economic barriers, and those gaps are even larger for marginalized women. Uh, Women still only represent 29% of Canadian Parliament. It's much less uh, in other parliaments or other legislatures, and much less, again, in private sector management and the like. So significant barriers in women's representation and decision-making, significant health challenges, uh, access to reproductive health rights across the country. We think we have a, a you know, a public health care system, but yet women in many areas are not able to access reproductive health and sexual health care. And that those, again, and things we thought we'd sort of nailed, you know, it's a bit fluid and in flux. Um, it's important to keep, you know, keep the your eye on the ball. And uh, that's what certainly our uh, document does with mm-hmm. Unfinished Business.
0: Yeah, it certainly does. And it sounds, if I can summarize, that there's been a a shift in leadership around the vision in Canada, you know, a sense of recognition of these issues. Yes. But it's really the implementation where we're really struggling to get it right. Yes. I think that would probably be true in a number of other countries as well.
1: For sure. Um, The, The need to follow through on stated commitments, right, to actually see a project through. Those things happen beyond political mandates, right? And that's the real challenge, I think, for us to actually make sure that we see things happen in, you know, in the spirit in which the stated intention uh, is. Right?
0: Mm-hmm. So if I can shift us back to the international scene, Canada's played a role through championing, you know, feminist international assistance policy. It's had a strong voice at a range of tables sort of advancing gender equality uh, objectives. Um, but you know, what more can be done? What kind of leadership as we lead up to Beijing 25 would like to see our, our our country play? You know, what is realistic in terms of the influence Canada can have? What are some tangible ways that we could be pushing for success through the process that you've so clearly and, and effectively outlined for us, Vicky?
1: Well, I think there's two things that they could do. Uh, one that they could really get moving on right away, which is to ratify the new ILO convention uh, C190, which is the Convention on the Elimination of Violence and Harassment in the World of Work. This is a, a convention that was just negotiated uh, in June successfully, and it, it has actually established a new right the right to a world of work free from violence and harassment. And it's an excellent document that actually has a gender lens. Really specifically mentions domestic violence at work, in addition to all the other forms of uh, violence and harassment. And um, Canada played a really instrumental role in negotiating it, but it has to ratify and implement it. And we would like Canada to be among the first countries to do that. Uruguay already beat them to it to be the first. So that's one thing. The other one t- would be to, um, to take leadership of one of these action coalitions. And, you know, it would be a great discussion for feminists to have in Canada. Where would we like to see Canada show the most leadership? You know, is it on um, investing in feminist movements and and leadership? Is it on gender-based violence, which was the one I forgot before? Is it on um, sexual and reproductive health and rights and bodily autonomy? There's, you know, there's a lot of areas where Canada already has an established reputation. But I think the global world really looks to Canada to... Be out there, and if it makes a really concrete commitment to to leading one of these action coalitions, other countries will follow.
0: Hmm. Well, I, I think those sounds like great recommendations. Now, Canada has you know many opportunities to influence change. We the, what you've brought up are issues that, in some respects, really have sat traditionally in sort of the development spaces. Um, so you talked about labor sort of codes and issues but also Canada can have influence in other tables. And there's other elements that we need to be championing around the world, around gender equality. There have been references to Canada potentially having or building a feminist foreign policy. Mm -hmm. Minister Freeland made passing reference to this. Um, We don't know that such a thing actually exists, that it's been defined. Is this something that you have any reflections on in terms of expanding Canada's gender equity lens in its other levers of foreign policy?
2: Uh, certainly the chapter on feminist foreign policy that we have in the in our own uh, parallel report speaks to that issue. And in fact, readily acknowledges the uh, step, progress Canada has made on the development file, but noted that it's quite in, across all foreign policy areas, defense being another area um, that you could mention, that there's inconsistency and incoherent application, that it's not feminist uh, principles are not evident necessarily in our foreign policy. Certainly, Uh, More can be done even in the humanitarian space and the work that they're doing around uh, women in conflict zones. So uh, the primary recommendation was absolutely to move forward and bring a much more coherent feminist approach to all dimensions of foreign policy at this time.
1: Yeah, I would add to some of the things you've mentioned. I think a... A feminist and more feminist lens on the trade agenda also. Yes. Right. So, you know, defense like foreign policy it's not just about adding the, the word gender and hoping for the best. Right. Uh, you need to actually apply the lens to the actual policy. That's what we're not really seeing. And I think they haven't really set up any kind of accountability mechanism or like advisory group, I think, to for this feminist foreign policy, other than some of the stuff that they've been doing on women, peace and security. Right. Which is one slice so I think there's definitely um, a lot more that needs to be done. Uh, but interestingly enough, you know, in the sort of the lingo of the new government, you're not hearing the word feminist as much as you used to. No. So, I, you know, the, the, because the, the context has shifted with this minority government and the conservatives in the official opposition, uh, and as a sort of major threat to them, if the government falls, a concern that, that we have, that uh, many feminists have, is that feminism has dropped off of the priority agenda, right? That it was great to talk about it when it was politically convenient, but now they have to talk about tax cuts, uh, you know, and tax cuts are actually not going to get us any closer to gender equality, they'll take us back the other way. So, you know, that is something that I think is worth having a conversation about a further conversation.
0: So I I actually think there are studies that have shown that in the house of commons, there's reduced reference to feminism, specifically word counts. My Um, colleague
2: uh, did that piece. She uh, did a great blog on tracking it. It's actually, and it predates, it's not last year. It was two years ago that there was a precipitous drop in reference to feminist issues and the like. Uh, and the push, and you know, I think certainly on the international front, when you look at uh, the the discourse around the negotiation, the trade deals, and the idea that there be a gender chapter in the the free trade deal with Chile, you know, the government took a lot of heat for that. I mean, it was set up as saying like this was a frivolous preoccupation. Why on earth were they looking at you know labor rights or gender rights or the, you know the it detracting from the important matters of state, detracting from important multinational corporate interests. And you know, which is completely on its head. And so, in some ways, we're we're we are we we are we are already stepping back because feminism or concerns or the idea that you would look at the impact of trade actually on the people in the country for whom these deals negotiated somehow seen as distracting. And I think the liberals have been you know have been swayed by some of that discourse.
1: I would also sort of add some of the stuff that they've been talking about around um, social financing and social impact bonds are also in uh, complete disaccordance with the principles of feminism. And, you know, which um, which is, you know, a real concern as well, because if we're putting corporate interests, if we're putting profit ahead of the outcomes, then um, then we have a really disturbing priority.
0: I, I am struck by in a minority government, the need for us as civil society to anchor some of the change that we've made. You know, we know that there will be change in sort of political leadership in Canada at some point in a minority government that could happen sooner uh, rather than later. What do you think are some of the things that we need to be focusing on to really anchor some of the progress we've made and really welcome your thoughts, whether it's in the, the international development space or domestically?
2: Uh, do you mean things that uh, actions we hope uh, that will be accomplished within this uh, potentially limited mandate, or yes, for example, uh, the absolutely. actions certainly? Yeah. Well, certainly on um, there are many steps certainly in the income security. I was looking at EI reform, labor market reforms that we're hoping to move forward in this particular um, parliament, hoping that they will find common cause with progressive uh, parties in parliament behind some of those actions. We're looking as well for a meaningful action on setting, establishing a national um, action plan for the prevention of violence against women and uh, moving forward with for the calls to justice from the Commission, the National Inquiry Commission on Murdered and Missing Women, uh, Indigenous Women and Girls. So those are some of the Important priorities that the movements put forward for the next uh, number of months. Yeah, the pay equity regulations. So anything, any project
1: that was started needs to be finished. You know, you can pass legislation, but if you don't finish that process of developing the regulations, um, the legislation can't come into force. So if we can bring some of these pieces of legislation to the point where they actually are coming into force, they'll be harder to for the next government, whoever that is, to undo. I think that is has really uh, got to be a priority as opposed to introducing a lot of new stuff. We've got to make sure that the stuff that's there that we like is established and strong enough that it will be very, very hard for another government to undo.
2: And I would... Add right now, given its timeliness, certainly the federal government is at the point where the um, investments in child care that took the form of bilateral agreements with the federal uh, for the provinces and territories are set to expire. The, certainly, the government has indicated that it will be increasing its investment in child care. But what that looks like and how remains very much up in the air. And it really is a critical moment to lock in gains to ensure that the monies that are put forward by the federal government actually um, result in increased spaces, affordable spaces for desperately needed childcare across the country. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, thank you both for, for joining us today, Vicky and Catherine. I think we've covered some really important topics and, and the, of great interest to our members. I think while there's been obviously great strides in recent years around promoting certain elements of gender equality, there's still a whole lot that still needs to be done. And this year will hopefully allow us to progress a lot of those conversations as we can use the important anniversary of 25 years since the Beijing conference to anchor some of those conversations. Obviously, we look forward to seeing what comes out of the many forums and events to come for Beijing Plus 25. Thanks. So are we.
2: Thanks, Nick. (laughs) (laughs)